The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Here's a question for us this morning. Can we have hope? Have the events of this week, this month, or this year dashed our ideas about hope? I read an article this week that was published on October 10th, uh, this past year, 2020. Um, And that's that's, uh, World Mental Health Day. And the author was talking about hope. For some of us, we may think of hope as something that we actually don't don't necessarily need to live. But this author begs to differ. She She put it like this. She said, Uh, Most people think about hope like the sprinkles on an ice cream cone. Now, who doesn't love sprinkles? Am I right? But the ice cream is pretty good too. But she goes on. I think hope is fundamental to our basic well-being. I think she's right. I think we need hope. But here's a question for us. How can we have hope in a world that is so broken and complicated, in a world where we constantly get things wrong? As we wrap up our series on the Holy Spirit, we're talking about how the Christian gospel, that we have been filled with the Spirit, leads us towards restoration and empowerment. But what does that look like? And how does that fill us with with a hope that is deeper and wider than anything that we could possibly imagine? The prophet Joel shows us this. And I know that Don read uh, wonderfully for us the passage of of, of scripture from Joel that that is printed in our bulletins. But I'm going to kind of elaborate on that and draw from the rest of the book. It's only three chapters, and it's a fascinating book. And I think the prophet Joel, specifically in the passage that Don read for us in chapter 2, shows us three important building blocks for hope. Joel is writing to Israel. He's trying to get them to have hope not in themselves, but to draw near to their faithful God. And he urges them to do three things, to look to the past, to pay attention and listen to each other in the present, and to look forward to a future where God will make all things new. And it's the same for us. We must learn to do these three things like Israel. We must also remember the past, listen and pay attention in our present, and look forward to a future that is given to us through Christ. So first, remember the past. I think we remember the past to dislodge ourselves from the idea that we can actually have hope on our own. Remembering the past forces us out of this idea that we can have hope on our own strength. Joel points this out out for Israel. See, Joel is writing to uh, this book without actually naming Israel's sin. He never names a specific sin from start to finish, which may not sound strange to us, except for the fact that every other prophet in the scriptures does this. This is essentially what a prophet does. They come— And they name for Israel what they must repent of and call Israel to account for that. But Joel does no such thing. To put it in perspective, this would be a little bit like somebody, a mechanic, 
not fixing the specific part in your car, but telling you to find it yourself. To pay attention. Imagine the, <laughs> what that would be. You know, it would be hard. It would take work. It would take diligence and learning and reflection. This is uh, specifically special given the fact that Joel also highlights for us the day of the Lord. The day of the judgment of God for Israel's sin. Which he says, the day of the Lord is dreadful. Who can endure it? Now some Bible scholars claim that um, Joel not highlighting the the specific sin uh, points people to uh, reflect for their own selves. Joel refuses to feed it to Israel on a platter. And so when we're reading this prophet, we would do well too to think back. To call to mind our own sin, to, to look at the sin and brokenness in our past and take it seriously. Remember, we remember the past to dislodge ourselves from the false idea that we can have real hope on our own strength. And I think Joel puts his finger on a pressure point in our culture. It can be uh, just as alive in the church as it is in the world, and that is the idea that we live on the right side of history. That we live with the idea of progress and that we can progress our way to morality. We won't make the same mistakes as our ancestors did because we've learned from them. We've grown from them. We have better technology than they did. We understand the world better than they did. We won't be so naive. But Joel calls us away from that. In the same way he calls Israel to repent and lament, he calls us to do the same. And ultimately, Joel calls us not to remember the past, simply to learn from it, but to let it clothe us in humility and repentance for us in the present. He says in, in, verse, in chapter 2, Rend your hearts, not your garments. Meaning, see the deep brokenness inside each one of us and genuinely repent of it. Call yourself out as capable of the same things as your ancestors. It's the same thing that I talked about uh, last week when we remembered the story of the, the Nazi prison guard and the Jew who saw in himself the common humanity, the common brokenness. Joel calls us to do the same. This is where Joel ultimately points us. He calls us in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, return... Not to a better way, not to learn from the past. Return to the Lord, your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. And in 2.32, he says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel calls us to remember the past so that we see that our only hope is in the gracious character of God. Not in ourselves. But he doesn't end there. The second thing we must do is to listen and pay attention in the present. In the passage that Don read for us before the sermon, Joel is looking forward to a day when God will pour out his spirit on all people. In the story of the Bible, we know that this is where we live as the church in the 21st century. We are post-Pentecost people. Right? We've celebrated Pentecost already, the pouring out of God's Spirit on the believers in Jerusalem. 
And we know that all who are baptized in the waters of baptism are baptized in the Spirit. This is for us. We have the Spirit in us, this invisible presence of God living in us, animating our lives. It's incredible. And this gives us a hope in the present because we are not alone. And God will not leave us. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus says, you know, you, you, this is actually better for you that I go to be with my Father because I will send you something that will be with you always to the very end of the age that will lead us and guide us. This gives us hope in our present because it testifies to us on a daily basis that we are partakers of the divine nature. Not because of anything in us, but because of Christ. Remember, as I, I spoke about earlier in our service, the Spirit is given always for our benefit. It points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit will always point us to the finished work of Christ. And so, of course, the Spirit's going to convict us of our sin. Of course it's going to do that, because it's only so that we can have a deeper hope in being found in Christ being transformed into his likeness. Of course the Spirit encourages us through words from other people because we sometimes get down and we need the Spirit to build us up. Of course the Spirit speaks to us sometimes in unlikely places and through unlikely people, including someone with a can of spray paint, because we need to hear from God today and to be transformed here and now more and more into his likeness. Of course, the Spirit gives us dreams and visions to help us because each one of us needs God's active presence in our lives to guide us, to lead us. Prophecy, dreams, and visions in no way add to the scriptures. They do not rise above the authority of the scriptures, but they are ways that God communicates his divine truth to us in different ways. Sure, we hear God in, in the sermon, and we're quick in ref the Reformed tradition to say that God speaks through the words of, of myself or Ben or any other pastor, but it's also true that each one of us is baptized in the Spirit and empowered by that Spirit and is just as qualified to speak words to others and to each other. In fact, I love that line in the deacon's uh, charge that the deacons are to be prophetic critics of the waste and injustices that we see in the world around us. It's in the offices of Scripture, and it's in the— every believer is a prophet, a priest, and a king. We believe that, and so we must see this as a blessing. We must listen and pay attention to God in the words and actions of others around us. Now, there are a few things that are super unique and, and really interesting about the way that Joel talks about prophecy in this passage. First of all, he says, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is how wide God's salvation is. It excludes no one. As one commentator put it, the major characteristic of the outpouring of the spirit is its universality. All the people of God receive the spirit. 
The text specifically erases the major social distinctions of the ancient, ancient world. Gender, age, economic status. In an era in which men, not women, the old, not the young, the landowners, not the slaves, ruled society, Joel explicitly rejects all such distinctions, distinctions as criteria for receiving the Spirit and being empowered by Him. Wow! Isn't that powerful? God's Spirit is given to all. And so we, as Christians, would do well to listen and pay attention to all the voices of those who are oppressed and on the fringes are often the ones that God uses to speak truth to his people. God's Spirit is alive in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament authors agree with everything that, that Joel is saying here. In fact, Peter quotes this passage and calls it to fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. The third thing we must do is to look forward and hope in our future. A future where we will be with God forever. The Bible is very clear. Jesus talks about this in Revelation 21 where he says to John the Apostle that he, to, to, and to us as, the, as Christians through John that he is making all things new. That is what Christ is doing in and for our world. But how can we know this? How can we be sure I mean, how can we have hope that our future will actually be with God? So much of the prophet Joel is about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath coming upon sinful and broken Israel and, and all of humanity. And we can look at this, this book and we can say to ourselves, how can we endure it? How can we stand up to the day of the Lord? We are convicted and guilty as charged to know that the wrath of God should fall on us. But it doesn't. Because the day of the Lord came upon him. It came upon Jesus. One commentator sheds light into why Joel talks about the weird stuff about the sun turning dark and the moon turning to blood. He says this, The mention of blood recalls the first plague on the Egyptians at Exodus. For Joel, the day of the Lord was not exclusively judgment or salvation. It was God coming to deal with his people. When Jesus hung on the cross... Gospel writers tell us that the world became dark. The sun turned to darkness. The moon probably appeared blood red. The earth quaked. What was happening? God was coming to deal with his people. And instead of dealing with us, God's wrath came upon him. The innocent son endured the day of the Lord. What should have killed us killed him. He was overcome by God's wrath so that we never will be. Jesus Christ endured that day for you so that you can have hope in a future with him. Isn't that incredible? We're about to come to the table 
a table that we call a memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. A table where we look back and remember the whole story of our salvation. We look around and we see that we are together members of the body of Christ, and we look forward to the coming banquet in God's kingdom. And lastly, we look up at our ascended Lord who nourishes us in his body and blood by the Holy Spirit. Let's come to the table together. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are your people, we are your um, chosen people, and yet we confess and we know that we constantly make the same mistakes. Help us to uh, draw near to you to remember the fact that our only hope is in you. Father, give us this hope by your Holy Spirit that, that we have been set free from our sin and our guilt through the blood of Christ, that he has endured for us what we could never endure, and we can be partakers of his divine nature through him alone. Father, may this not lead us to, um, to be arrogant, but lead us into humility and into transformation, that we can deal with our own sin and brokenness because we have freedom in Christ. Father, we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.